Today, we're, we're looking at the one verse that really is definitive and it's going to tell us the need that everyone has, and that is to be born of God. So the verse is 1 Corinthians 2, 14, and I'm going to pray as we begin, and we'll read the text on the next slide. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, your love, your mercy, the hope that we have in you and you alone. And today, may your word penetrate to our hearts and help us understand what you've said and turn to you by faith alone through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. So on the first slide here, I have the entire verse, and then we're going to deal phrase by phrase because each word in the Greek or the section or phrase in the Greek has been misinterpreted off and on in church history. We want to understand what is setting the stage for the rest of First Corinthians. So let me read the passage, reading from the Lexham English Bible. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, let me give you the context, because it was quite a while ago when I preached on verse 13. So let me read that. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.13, things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. people. So in review, our conclusion is that the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. And that that means that God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, fully human, fully God, the creator, came into our world. And so you have to get the person and work of Christ correct first and understand that in the day in which this was preached, starting in the Gospels and Acts and going forward, no one wanted to hear that message. It offended everybody. It was a scandal. It was an offense. It was foolishness. But that's what God uses. So that puts this in context. So those who see the message of Christ crucified as foolishness are lost. That was the claim that we're going to continue to make here. Those who trust in Christ alone are those with wisdom from God. Now, I'm going to read a verse if you want to turn to it again. We've covered it, and this really sets the stage. 1 Corinthians 1.18. This theme is prevalent throughout the first part of 1 Corinthians. Later, we're going to get into the issues that arise between Paul and the church at Corinth, some of whom were saying that Paul was deficient and they'd rather have a different apostle. So, We've got to make sure we understand why they're having this debate. 1 Corinthians one eighteen says this, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, that's thematic, and we're going to do an overview slide, which I add to as we go along, 
to show that we're still on the same topic. We'll break this down into four parts as we go through the verse. So if we go to what God's revealed, and here now I've added verse 14, and it's the same issue. What has God revealed that's his plan of salvation, that's his wisdom, that's his power, that it's what God uses to redeem the lost and to bring forgiveness of sins to believers and to give us eternal hope. Here's the overview. Verse 18, we just read, the word of the cross, meaning preaching of Christ crucified. The message preached, 121, the power of God, 124, the wisdom of God, 124, Christ crucified, 2-2. This is all in 1 Corinthians. God's wisdom in a mystery, 2, 7 through 8. The depths of God, 2-10. The things freely given, 2-12. The things of the Spirit of God, 2-14. Now think about this. If someone were to say, I really know because I know how to hear from God, and this is four or five different messages, rather than the one that it is, would you become confused? This section has been misused for so long that some people would say, well, nobody's ever understood it. We have to understand it. Now, I also created another overview slide that we're not going to look at, but let me cite that. It was given on January 2nd when I preached from this section. What is the true wisdom that Paul speaks? Jesus Christ, the crucified Jewish Messiah. He died for sins once for all, as we've said. Who are the mature? Christians, all who know Christ. There's the problem. Because now we think Christian means potentially a couple billion people. Frankly, most persons in Christendom, or even those who actually go into various churches, don't know Christ. What are the depths of God? God's provisions and promises in Christ. Who knows the things of God and how? All Christians in through the Spirit, the things God's revealed. One of the things to be thinking about as we go through this is that we're not saying that people are incapable of understanding the claims of Christianity, that there's no objective evidence we'll show in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is, that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he did come into real places in history, the Middle East, Jerusalem. He was crucified, and that these things are factually true. But what's lacking for those who do not have the Spirit of God is the weightiness and significance of these things. And so since... Christendom ends up being run by the descendants of Christians. There's ways of trying to turn it into something it wasn't, so it's no longer offensive. And uh, that, I hear, is what we're going to talk about after in the videos. A couple of people mentioned that to me. Let's go to 14a. Let's think about it. What is it that is definitive of those who are willing to accept the things of God that is Christ crucified. 
1 Corinthians 4, 2.14a, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, one of the things that really threw me for a loop when I was a new Christian was a redefinition of this, not based on what is revealed in Scripture, but based on some sort of a internal human spiritual anatomy, breaking up the inner man into this, that, and the other thing. And that harmed me uh, badly early in the Christian life, and therefore I want to spare some people from going through that. The natural man, the word man, by the way, is anthropos, so it's not wrong if you have a translation that says the natural person. Anthropos is where we get our English word anthropology. I'm using this translation that brings out what's being said, but it applies to all humans. It's not just male humans. All humans are without the spirit if they don't know Christ. So the natural man does not accept. Now that word, accept, is decomai. So I have it on the slide here, transliterated uh, using uh, words that we can, or letters we can understand. U decomai, this is a dictionary definition or entry. U decomai means no, I won't accept that. I won't welcome it. No, there's other synonyms, there's other words, but in the Luke and in Acts and in 1 Corinthians, you see often when Jesus comes in Luke, some people are willing to welcome the message of Messiah and others reject it. Welcome is a better word to uh, use here because some people will say, that's all right, we'll hear what you have to say, like they did at Athens. But others would say, this is something, this person has the words of eternal life. Is this the Messiah? Is this the promised one? So the welcome is stronger. And if you won't welcome the things of the Spirit, you're saying, keep this away from me. I don't even want to hear about it. Go somewhere else with it. So this sukikas, the natural man, is a word based on, it's an, a word based on the term for the soul, the suke. So some person... Uh, namely, Washman Nee is one person who did this, and I, my research showed that it happened also earlier in church history in the second century, divides people in, up into spirit, soul, and body, and so your spirit will accept this, but your soul is the problem, and it has to get in line. But this is not talking about some anatomical scheme of sanctification. It's the whole person who believes in Christ. And therefore, if we reject Christ, it's because we're part of this whole group, the natural man, who doesn't welcome the things of the Spirit of God. So let me read a few things about this. If you want to turn to this, I'll show you that the main proof text for those who think this is anatomical is really not telling us we got to divide the person into spirit, soul, and body. So if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 25, let's take a look at this. I'm doing this because at one point I looked at this and said, see, that must be the way it is. And 
I spent an awful lot of years trying to figure out what the difference was between my spirit and my soul and getting one to listen to the other. And I never did figure it out. So I finally, thankfully, went to Bible preaching. I was not a very good mystic. And I count that as a blessing, frankly. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 24, Faithful is he who calls you, he will bring it to pass. And then Paul said, Brethren, pray for us. Now from that verse, would you get the idea that somehow there's a scheme of sanctification that starts with the spirit first getting regenerated and then the soul, the mind trying to figure out what the spirit's saying to the soul and this trichotomy and this uh, whole scheme. Is that what you get from that verse if you just look at it in context? Think about this. What does it say when we're told to love the Lord? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, does that mean divide yourself into heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or does it mean love the Lord with your whole person? And so we're trying to complicate something that's more basic. And to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is going to take a work of grace because what we know we love is self. Love your neighbor as yourself. The assumption is you do love yourself. Neighbors, we don't care so much for them because they really are annoying. Unless I'm the neighbor, well, you know how that goes. So the word sukikos, which is our word here, is used five times in the New Testament. And it's used in 1 Corinthians 15, 44 and 46 in regard to the future resurrection. And there it does not support uh, the idea of somehow relationships between the parts of the inner spiritual anatomy of the person as a means of guidance or sanctification. It's too complicated. Let's, let's back up a little bit. The natural man, person, anthropos, who does not welcome the things of the Spirit of God is a lost sinner. Does that make sense? I know I was a lost sinner because I didn't want to hear about the things of the Spirit of God. And so let me cite Gordon Fee, whose work really helped me understand where I was going astray. Uh, I'll cite this scholar because I want us to have a high regard for understanding the text. He says this, quote, more likely it comes out of his own Jewish background where the Greek noun Suke or psyche, we would use it, suke, soul, has been used to translate the Hebrew nephesh, which often simply, says feed, denotes humanity in its natural physical existence. It seems to be his present point. This seems to be his present point. With this term, he has designated people who are not now, nor have they ever been, Believers, they are strictly people who know only the wisdom of this age. And I'm citing the uh, commentary of Dr. Gordon Fee. 
So to whom is this applied? Anyone who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, who hasn't turned to him in faith and know the things of God that once seemed foolishness, and now they are precious because we now have hope when we before were lost. That's what that is. Now let's go to the next part of this. 1 Corinthians 2.14b. For they are foolishness to him. Foolishness. Why? Well, we just found out. They're foolishness to whoever doesn't like God's plan of salvation, which was all of us. Before God intervened through the gospel. And... Um, they're foolishness. The word foolishness, Maria, there's a omega there, and so I made a, an attempt to turn the omega into an omicron with a underscore so we know it's omega. By the way, now everybody's heard of omicron, but that's, that's another story. Um, never heard that word. Now everybody's talking about it. Omega is the word we used before is a Greek letter. Now this is Omicron. Here's Omega. Omega Maria means foolishness. It's used five times in the New Testament, all of them right here. Okay? It's used in 118, we already cited. It's used in 121, foolishness. There it's irony. Well, we don't want your message. It's foolish. 123, to the Gentiles' foolishness. To the Jews, a scandal, scandal on a stumbling block. And then where we're headed in 319, I'll just cite that right here. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness, Maria, before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. So that's a key term, and it's used a number of times right here. Let's go to the next part, 1 Corinthians 2.14c, 2.14c. And he is not able to understand them. Now, this is a very important idea. And I'm doing my best, by God's grace, to show that this doesn't mean that you take a blind leap into some spiritual other And wherever you land, that must be good enough because nobody could ever understand this. This doesn't mean that the facts aren't clear enough to be comprehended. It means that we're not able to see the weightiness, the significance, the import. There are people who have researched this, very brilliant people researched what happened? Did, is, is this even credible? Is there evidence that the tomb was empty? Why did these things happen when they did, where they did, and came back with the conclusion that, yes, there's solid evidence for this. I think it's just for the Jews. That's what one person said. So the facts weren't so much disputed. No one said they found the body. They all agreed that that Jesus did appear to his disciples. There's evidence for that. Why else would they continue to go forward and be persecuted 
when there were people there on the scene of history who had means, motive, and opportunity to refute their claims. So what did they say? Well, the disciples stole the body. The guards, this is foolishness. We'll hear you later. We'll see this. And so the, we're not saying take a blind leap. We're saying believe the truth of the gospel that you need salvation. You need forgiveness of sins. You need to be born of God. You need to turn to him. And that's the significance. So this term, understand, simple word, gnosko, to know, implies come to know in the tense of which it is, as it's used here, or it means to perceive. The natural man can understand the facts, rejects the significance. Let's turn together to something I just alluded to. Acts 17, uh, 18. Let's start with there, right there. Acts 17, 18. So Paul comes to Athens. And even some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. And some were saying, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he appears to be a proclaimer of foreign deities. You see, uh, let me continue reading here, because he was proclaiming the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, they had no problem with polytheism. And later in Acts, there's a big riot because they thought Artemis was in trouble, their favorite temple at Ephesus, that's elsewhere. And so here he is, amazing confrontation in real time and space and history between a convert, because Paul had rejected the gospel, who later was converted upon Jesus confronting him and appearing to him. And now he is going into the arena of public debate with some of the smartest people in that part of the world, in that time of history. They thought he was proclaiming some other version of various deities. But in the Greek, it says... He was proclaiming the, new, the, the good news, meaning euangelizo. He was evangelizing. He was euangelizo, which is our word for evangelize or proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's what he was doing. So Paul didn't have one approach for some places and another for other places. He preached Christ, howbeit, if you go into the synagogue, they already have the scriptures. You, you, you search the scriptures. You go there and you proclaim what God did. Now, if you go down to verse 30, for the sake of time, and let, let's read that. Acts 17, 30 to 32. Therefore, though God has overlooked the times of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts seventeen thirty. Why should these philosophers repent? Let's look at verse 31. Because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, having provided proof 
to everyone by raising him from the dead. Wow. You're going to preach that to philosophers on Mars Hill or Athens, wherever, as they, as they, we showed slides of that in Sunday school at one time. Verse 32, now when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, others said, we'll hear you again about this also. That doesn't mean they totally rejected it, which is something that I had thought, but they were willing to hear more about it and to at least consider it. And some actually were saying, now, what has happened in church history is that some people thinking in order to cause Christianity to grow and the church to grow, we need to study sociology. And when you study sociology and see what people will accept and what will cause them to move forward, then we adjust the message based on our sociological study. Because as some said, well, Paul failed here, so he went to try something else. That's not what Luke is telling us. Because some people did believe. And just take note of this for the sake of time, but Acts 17.34, there were some believers, and God would use a few people anywhere to be witnesses to many other people. It's not a failure to preach Christ. God didn't say, well, you better study sociology and find out what people want, then design a version of Christianity that sounds good to them. What do you end up when you, with when you do that? The natural man, without the spirit, fills the church. And then, who's offended when you preach Christ in churches and seminaries and anywhere? People who thought they were Christian. They hadn't even heard this. They didn't know they were dead sinners. They won't listen to it. Let's go to the next part of this. The last one, 1 Corinthians 2.14d. Why is it, I'm going to read that after I pose the question, why is it that the dead sinner, the natural person, the natural man, the sukikos, the soulish man, but that's not the point, the whole person alienated from God, why will they not welcome the things of God? Because, by the way, this phrase here is three words in the Greek, because they are spiritually discerned. So I've broken that down here on the slide. Spiritually is an adverb, nomadic cause, excuse me, nomadic cause, discern, anacrino, and then because it's simply hati, it's a, a purpose here, the, the reason for this being, because they're spiritually appraised or discerned. Each one of these is important. Are we getting too technical? No, because if we don't explain these things, somebody else will come and fill in the blanks and have their own process and say, I know what it means by ignoring the context. That's what happened to me. It took me years and years to get out of that mess because somebody seemed to know something I didn't know, and we've got to get it right. And the Corinthian, Corinthian church that was questioning 
and creating divisions and schisms, we're getting it wrong. The words, the three words in the Greek, hati, nomatikos, and anakrino, are saying the natural man will reject the things of the spirit because if you aren't born of the spirit, you don't have the means of discernment. You don't have the means of discernment. Why would someone rather rather know their enneagram number than learn about hope and faith and salvation and forgiveness of sins? Why? Why would someone rather learn about meditation than to be saved? Because uh, organizations, institutions, seminary, church, Bible college, God can use many different things. But once they're filled with the persons who never really knew Christ, they want something they can relate to. And evidently, a neogram, which is totally pagan, I can relate to that. Christ crucified, yeah, we know about that. We've got the symbols and the jewelry and the, we got all that. But what about the reality of it? What about forgiveness of sins? Let me cite again Gordon Fee. The word pneumatikos is now an ad- adverb, but the context of Fee makes it clear that Paul intends by means of the Spirit not by some intuitive process. I'm going to stop with the citation. I'll resume it. Now I'm commenting on that. That's what tripped me up. I thought that somehow the human spirit was regenerated and alive, and now the soul had to learn how to hear what the human spirit, now alive by God's spirit, the same. I couldn't do that. I was, I kept reading the Bible. I think it means what it says, but I'm missing something. Let me tell you, I've mentioned this before. I couldn't understand this other way of doing things like wash my knee until later I decided, what if I reread this with the assumption that it's false? For seven or eight years, I thought it was true, and I couldn't get it. So I went back, thinking it's false and knowing it's false, and now it makes sense. Once I thought it was false, then I could make sense of it. So we've been talking about that. Back to fee. For Paul, to be spiritual, says fee, And to discern spiritually simply means to have the spirit. (laughs) Cough drop break. I get no royalty from fishermen's friends, I promise you. Okay, back to fee for Paul to be spiritual and to discern spiritual... Spiritually, simply means to have the Spirit. 
Uso endows and enables. The verb translated discern is a crucial one. The fact that it occurs only in this letter, in the Pauline corpus, that means the body of his work, ten times, and in that, very, that in every case but one, 1424, it appears in a polemical or ironic context. Let me explain. If someone uses irony and you take them literally, what happens? You get the opposite. You get the opposite. And generally, if you're there, you know what's going on. The other day, it was so cold and so windy and so nasty. The wind is ripping through. And some of us didn't even want to go outside the house. It was so bad. And I said, well, this must be global warming kicking in again. And I was being ironic. But if you took that to mean, oh, I see uh, Bob believes in global warming. No, I was just being ironic. The fact is, this is Minnesota. Bad things happen, good things happen, and everything in between. Back to this. So if you take something as polemical, you're saying you're of the spirit, Paul says to the Corinthians, but looking at you, it looks to me like you're ironically fleshly. That's what Paul saw. That's ironic. It's polemical. You, how can you call Paul not a very good apostle when you're behaving the way you are? That's what he's doing. It's ironic. Back to fee. Makes, you know, a polemical or ironic context makes one think that it's a, probably a Corinthian word that Paul is taking up against them. Oh, so you say I'm fleshly, but you're the natural man, if that's the way you look at things. If you don't accept the things of the Spirit of God, who are you to judge whether Peter, Apollos, Paul, (coughs) Paul, Christ is divided. It's not right. Let's turn here. I want to give you another preview. I may have uh, mentioned this. We want to look at this word, anacrino, Discern, appraise, examine, judge. We looked at another word that's similar to this, dokimazo. Let's look at this one, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. So we'll do a little preview to show irony. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But to me, Paul said, it's a very small thing that I might be examined, there's our word, by you, by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am not conscious, in verse 4, of anything against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So there's three times that word is used in those two verses. In other words, if we look at our own selves and think, I think I'm a great apostle, and I'm better than anybody else. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Even Paul, who was appointed as apostles, we'll see, First Corinthians 15, it wasn't his business to decide who served better or who's got the better gift. God is the only one who knows these things. The one thing 
that can be known is whether we're willing to believe and trust in Christ alone, the crucified Jewish Messiah, the one who died for sins once for all and was raised from the dead and proved his claims by appearing to many witnesses. If if we will believe on that and trust that, that's acceptable. Who's better than whom? Who's the great preacher or the bad preacher or whatever? How do we know that? How do we know that? So they're examining Paul probably, as it says here. Ah, we like Peter better. Okay? We've got to lay aside passing judgment before the time. There's things that only God can know. And everyone who, who is saved by grace through faith and put into the church is someone God's accepted into his family. And we need to be patient about who God's going to use and in what way. So that's a good example of how the 16 times this word, word is used, anacrino, uh, in 14 verses, 10 are in 1 Corinthians, all the rest are in Luke Acts, where some of the same things happen. Now let's go to some applications. Three of them. Number one, we must not be deceived by, by confused and faulty categories. That's really an important point. Number two, the facts of God's saving work are objective and clear. Number three, we must welcome the truth to avoid deception. Before I turn to the next slide, let's let's look at this. Think about it. If someone is thinking, why should I believe any of this? The first question to ask, if it's true that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that the facts are clear, that he really did live a sinless life. He really is God the Son. He really did die for sins once for all. He really was raised from the dead. And that what he taught is God's word and his apostles, the real ones, speak for him. If that's true, would I be willing to believe it or not? That's the salient question. Would I believe it if it were really true? Last week, Eric laid out some really good reasons to show we should believe in the historicity of the Bible. Now, let's look at an application about faulty categories. James 3, 14 and 15. This is a practical application for all of us. And it helps us very simply realize what is from God. What does it look like? James 3, 14 and 15. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, James, by the way, the half-brother of the Lord, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above but is earthly 
And here's our word, psuchikos, soulish, demonic. Now, if you look at that in the context, it isn't the fact that your spirit didn't listen or your soul didn't listen to your spirit, which is already joined to God, which is Nee's version. But if you look at the whole list, earthly, natural, demonic, that's not a good list to be part of. And it means wisdom that's not from God, but it's of this fallen, sinful world. Now, let's break this out a little bit. Bitter jealousy, zealous is the word here, and selfish ambition. And so these terms are also used, 1 Corinthians 3, 3. Paul will discuss this. And there's jealousy and strife, 1 Corinthians 3, 3, and so on. This doesn't mean, by the way, to make a good application that hopefully doesn't confuse anyone. It's not good because I made it, but I think it's a good one. You're no judge of this. Is that if we say, I'm born of God, and I depend on him, and I have his wisdom, it doesn't mean that we never get angry or never selfishly ambitious or any of these things, but that's what we want God to save us from. And those who are born of God are willing to embrace wisdom from God, which is provided here. So how do we know? This is a little easier than trying to look inside your spiritual anatomy and figure out what's happening. Looking inside really doesn't lead to a lot of good places other than being convicted of the fact that I'm not right with God. So the context shows that this is what's not from God. This sort of bitterness reminds us of various cases of bitterness in the Bible, where someone resented God's ways and choices. I can think of a few. I just thought of another one this morning, but time won't permit to go through all of them. Here are some cases. How about Genesis 3? Didn't the serpent say, well... God's keeping you from something you should have. Why be satisfied with paradise when there's this one tree God won't let you have? You can be like God. And so they resented it. And then when God revealed how sacrifice must be offered, there was another case. How about 1 Samuel 15? Jot this down. We couldn't get there now. But 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 29 when Saul realized that he was in trouble and he was rejected, remember what Saul said? Honor me. Okay, I'll admit to you, Samuel, I'm not right, but honor me before the people. That'll be good. Bad idea, right? What about the wilderness wanderers? They were mentioned. Eric preached about that. They came to the bitter waters. Bitter, bitter waters. They didn't like what God was doing. It's very similar in Corinth. Let me just cite one more verse, and you can turn to this one, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. This is Paul speaking to 
the church at Corinth, which was was various groups probably meeting in different places, but they read these letters. 2 Corinthians 12.20, Paul said, For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. In other words, Paul's going to say, I don't like what I'm seeing. And when he gets there, they're going, I don't like what we're seeing. We don't like you either. There you have it. That perhaps there will be, so what will there be? Strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Paul, why do you keep picking on us? He's the one that God sent to them. And sometimes the word of God just pierces to to my heart. I know that. So many times I look at, God help me. My human spirit talking to my human soul isn't going to help me. The promises of God will. Faithful is he who calls you, he'll also do it. We read that earlier. Do you believe, those of you here who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're trusting him and you believe in him, if God gave wisdom right now, and you knew it was from God because it's biblical, this has happened to me more often than once, would it, would it be something that you're afraid he might say and you don't want to change? That's happened to me. Is it true? Can God change me? Can God keep his promises in my life? Can I be different than I am now? I believe yes. But if we're saying, no, we don't like that verse, why don't we just skip around until we find one that makes us look better? Or are we going to go through verse by verse by verse and take each one to heart as we understand it? This is not anatomical of the inner person is whether we believe God's word and trust his wisdom. Does it mean hearing voices? Does it mean God told me I have to do this and not that? Because when the Bible fills your mind as you grow in Christ and learn it, asking for wisdom sometimes means I know what to do. I just don't like it. Because it's God's wisdom. God will give us grace to know what he's called us to do. Now let's go to these next two slides I'll read without a lot of comment because I want to make sure I save time to present a clear message that we can all understand. But this shows the objectivity, the objectivity of what was preached. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, and then 4 through 7 are on the next slide. Paul says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, and by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I need to comment on that. Um, This means that whenever the gospel goes somewhere, as you see through Acts, there'll be people who will get with it and come along, 
But like Simon the Sorcerer say, oh, I think I can make money off of this. Peter says, You're not, you have no part or lot with this. If we receive the gospel and are born of God, the Holy Spirit will continue to bring us toward glory with a, with a sure hope. And as, as I mentioned last week, it doesn't mean continual progress without any uh, ups and downs and backwards or whatever may happen, but we'll get back where we need to be going. That's what it means. <clears throat> it doesn't say, yeah, I believe that, and then you go out and live for the devil. That's not what it means. Hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believe in vain, which is ironic because if you do believe truly, it's not vain, it'll change you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. Think about that. He died for our sins according to scriptures. Anyone who doesn't think they have sin, they need forgiveness, or they don't need Christ, then who cares if he died for sins? We don't have sin anyhow. We're evolving into paradise. So we got to know that we need this. 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 7. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared, the word there, hurao, was seen. Uh, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to all the, then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. And here we have an adverb, ephopox. Hopox is once and for all. This is an adverb. Why would he say that? Why did he appear to so many people at that occasion? Because when you have that many witnesses, one or two of them may lie. Well, there was no resurrection. There was really the disciples stole the body. All of this is a big farce. This is the Passover plot, as some unbeliever claim. It shows that, let me comment on that, 500 witnesses to the reality. The resurrected Christ was seen by witnesses. On the scene most of whom remain, why does he say that? Any historical event, somebody will say it never happened. Some people say that uh, there was no Hitler, there was no Holocaust, it was all big, it never happened. But there's still people who live there. If you try to deny something and people were there, say, oh yeah, it really did happen. They remain, so they could, at that point, say, this happened. This is a myth. But some have fallen asleep, a euphemism for death, when he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So the people who had eyewitnesses, witness evidence of the resurrection of Christ said, this is the truth. So if it's the truth, if it's factual, if the guards at the tomb knew it, if the Jewish leadership knew it, why didn't everybody believe it? Why? Why not? Because uh, in theology, they call this the noetic effects of sin. 
The hardness of sin deceives us. Someone was on the news the other day and some saying he's going to figure out, oh, it's a motivational speaker. Uh, I think Diane and I saw that. Was he going to get 10 years younger? Yeah. I figured his stuff out. We're gonna, I'm going to be 10 years younger. All right. So God says he gives those who turn to him the gift of eternal life and the resurrection. Tony Robbins, that's who it was, said, you're going to be 10 years younger than you really are. What good is 10 years when you're looking at eternity? Wow. Let's go to the last slide. Here is the gospel. Here's the issue. In Acts 17, 11, they welcomed, decomai the word, with great eagerness, examining, there's our word, on a crino, looking at it. Here's the scriptures. Does it say this? Do the Jewish scriptures say the Messiah would come and suffer and die and be raised on the third day? Yes. Not all of them believed it, but at least the, that synagogue, they examined, they, re, they looked. They received the word with eagerness. Berea. But others won't do that. And so I'm going to go to Antichrist. The ones that won't receive to end up under judgment. 2 Thessalonians 2.10. With all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not, and here in the Greek, udekomai, not welcome, not welcome, not even welcome the love of the truth. In other words, if it were true, I don't even want to hear. If I heard it, I might believe it and welcome it. I don't even want to go away. I don't want it anywhere near me. That's what happens. So many people do not want what God's doing even to fall on their ears. Because it may be true and they might believe it. So I won't even... I don't want to love the truth. We saw in Sunday school, I, I missed part of it, but uh, we we're talking about Lazarus. Did you know that after he was raised, they tried to kill him again? Does that look like not welcoming the love of the truth? Okay, they believe that Lazarus, they might not believe anything. So let's go on here. Three more minutes. How are you saved? Receive the love of the truth. Receive the love of the truth. I've already explained who Jesus is, what he did, why we need him. Today, as God is pricking the hearts of some people, and as Christians, we're challenged to live according to what it says in in the scriptures, to have God change our hearts so that I'm not angry and bitter and whatever, and that God will give us grace if we don't know him, Turn to the Lord. Receive the love of the truth. Trust Christ. Turn to him. Believe in him. And what he has is forgiveness of sins. You don't believe there's such a thing as sin? You don't believe you need him? I pray that today the Holy Spirit would pierce to the heart any who hear this word and turn to him alone and be saved. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy that we be willing to hear things 
that are so powerful and so significant and so important. May we live accordingly, and for, and for any who do not know you today, turn to the Lord Jesus. May they turn to you and be saved. We pray that you would bring people life and hope and forgiveness of sins through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.